Hello, welcome ladies and gentlemen to the Not The Top 20 podcast. Ali Maxwell coming to you alongside, virtually alongside, George Ellix. First time we've ever recorded a podcast over Zoom. So there might be slight reduction in audio quality, but there are very good reasons for it. You might, for the first time, be able to see some of this pod at some point over the next few days. So that is quite exciting. George on the line with me. George, we had an exciting Instagram live quiz answer reveal last night, and it sounded like you'd had a very pleasant weekend. Yeah, so many different mediums at the moment for our, uh, for our content. You know it's media. Yeah, I like you how know you say... Media. Yeah, I know. And you say, you say as well that I'm alongside you. I literally am. I'm looking at a screen, and you are just to the left of me. So that's nice. That um, is really but, nice. But yes, here is the start of another footballless week. But that doesn't mean there's not going to be plenty of not the top 20 content coming at you throughout it. Correct. Uh, we are cracking on as usual. Uh, hope that everyone listening to this pod is well, is keeping well, uh, and your families too. What is in store for us today? Well, uh, what do we like to do every now and again when we think that you are bored of our voices and our opinions? We like to get the voice and opinion of Jay Sokic of Blades Analytic fame, a very popular guest on this podcast in the past. And he joins us again today for about 25 minutes of goodness from Jay. Um, we talked to him about all sorts of stuff, really. Um, he's so involved now within recruitment in the EFL with Peterborough United, of course, a job that I'm still claiming that I helped him get. Uh, and with Market Insights as well, which is a, a, a really a, a football consultancy service that specialises in recruitment and works with EFL clubs. So he's well-placed to answer a few of our questions on the impact of the coronavirus on the EFL and specifically uh, when it comes to recruitment. But also we wanted to get the good bits out of him as well. So we pushed him for some names in League Two, League One and in the Championship that he is loving at the moment, this is a man that spends even more time than we do delving into the data, watching the film uh, and uh, trying to find out the, the best value players and the, the future stars of the EFL. So that was pretty good fun. Um, so you're going to look forward to that with Jay. But also, as you know, we're sponsored by The Athletic. So it's definitely worth us at this early stage of the pod before we talk to Jay, pointing out that, I mean, they are maintaining a remarkably high quality of content considering the current situation George, I, I personally, this week so far, it's only Monday afternoon, but I've really enjoyed over the last few days reading very in-depth interviews with Sean Aluko, who's a really interesting guy, and also Luke Amos, who's on loan from Spurs at QPR. Really good in interview with him by Charlie Eccleshare. So lots of good stuff on there at the moment. What have you been reading on The Athletic? Well, anything that Matt Slater, friend of the pod, writes, I will uh, read. And he has put up a piece yesterday what is football's fit and proper person's test? Obviously not necessarily uh, strictly about the EFL, but lots of EFL content in there, including a bit on the story of One Direction, uh, Louis Tomlinson's attempt to buy the club back in 2014. But it, it's obviously, <laughs> it's, a, it's an important topic in the EFL uh, around club ownership. We've seen plenty of destructive owners come through in recent years. The question's often asked, what is this fit and proper football test? Uh, fit and proper person's test. And Matt has very clearly and in-depthly <laughs> coining a new in word there. <laughs> in-depthly. In in-depthly. Uh, talk to us through it. 
That's absolutely magnificent. <laughs> a, a, a linguistic pioneer, George Ellick there. Um, and, and Matt obviously starts that piece by quoting Nietzsche. So uh, there's all sorts of good stuff on The Athletic. <laughs> if you haven't signed up and you'd like to give it a go, where well, you can help support the podcast and get access to a treasure trove of football writing uh, at 50% off as well. If you go to theathletic.co.uk forward slash NTT20, um, you can dive in 50% off your annual subscription. Uh, lastly, before we talk to Blades Analytic, talk to Jay Sockich. George, uh, some people would have seen us talking about this already on Twitter, but we've got some quite exciting news as a duo as well. Yeah, the eagle-eyed amongst you on Twitter would have seen the launch of Five Yards. Uh, Five Yards is a project that Ali and I have been helping to launch over the past kind of eight to ten months, I guess. Um, it's not just a venture of ours. There are people, very smart people above us who we're just helping out. Uh, we're running the Twitter account as it is at the moment. Not going to give the game away too much as to what it is, but what I'll tell you is if you're somebody who likes or is interested in scouting players in, in the next bright, bright talent in world football, in how players are valued, uh, and maybe if you're interested in the gambling side of things as well. So if you enjoyed our, what we've done in the past with Black Type or particularly with Football Index, there's going to be a little bit of five yards uh, in it for you, I would say. You, you'll want to sign up. So if you haven't seen it already, make sure you follow us on Twitter. We're subscribing to the YouTube channel as well, which was born this morning. There should be some really good content coming out on there in the next couple of days. Going back a long time before... Uh, five Yards was anything but a brainchild of somebody else's, an old boss of mine and someone that Ali was introduced to. You went on a scouting mission, didn't you, mate? You went off <laughs> to the continent in order to use your linguistic skills and footballing nous to, uh, to try and uh, you know, tap up a player, legally, I, I should say. I, I did. I did. You mentioned smart people, Guy Rogers, who uh, is a founder of Five Yards, is certainly one of those, a former boss of yours, as you mentioned, someone that I got to know and ended up on quite the adventure with this about 18 months ago. I've never told the story on the podcast, but it was very exciting uh, and it was very sort of short lived as well, but it's kind of the origin story of five yards in, in many ways. Um, Guy works for 21st club, which is a football consultancy company where there are just a myriad of smart people. Um, they're currently working with Plymouth Argyle, which caught my eye the other day, which I think is quite interesting something to keep an eye on. Um, and, and Guy is a numbers man. He loves statistical models, um, trying to be predictive with that and using the data uh, in, in, a, in a way that is so much more complicated than I can ever imagine. But why I got on with Guy originally is that he had some of the coolest uh, spreadsheets around. And Mr. one of the Excel. spreadsheets, <laughs> yeah, one of the spreadsheets that he had uh, with so, hundreds and thousands of footballers on it um, using 21st Club data uh, as a predictive model, basically flagged up a player who played for Nancy and still does play for Nancy. A lot of the data guys listening to this will already know who I'm talking about. There's a player called Amin Bassi. Now, Bassi, if, you, if I was to compare him, and it's a decent comparison because Ben Rama, of course, came from or had played in League Two as well, League Deux, and Bassi plays in League Deux. He profiles similarly to Ben Rama, not exactly the same player, uh, he plays a bit more infield, a bit more centrally, um, more of a passer than uh, the dribbling maestro Ben Rama. Um, but 
plays with both feet, plays between the lines, um, receives the ball, turns the ball, passes the ball really well. And Guy Rogers' model had flagged him up as basically someone worth about 10 million euros. And we knew when we did a bit of digging that he could probably be signed for 3 million euros, maybe even less because he'd had a tricky summer at the time. So we managed to get a meeting with the sporting director of Nancy. I was really there because I speak French, uh, not because I know lots about football, but it became uh, a really interesting uh, process where we met the sporting director. We essentially asked to have the mandate to sell Amin Bassi or at least to um, discuss teams in England and, and sort of uh, sell Bassi to them, uh, to EFL clubs, championship clubs or, or lower Premier League clubs. Um, first and foremost, we got 10 hours worth of trains to Nancy uh, and the meeting lasted about 20 minutes. Um, but it was quite cool to be in, in at the Nancy training ground, meeting with the sporting director. Ultimately, I think they were a bit confused as to what we wanted. But because these clubs in Ligue 2, they thrive, they, they, they function on selling their players. And selling them to England is the best thing possible because that's where the majority of the money is. So they seemed pretty keen uh, for us to help if we could find a buyer. Um, and we were very excited about that. I was doing a lot of research into who I thought would be the best fit and who we thought could uh, afford Bassi, but we never got the mandate in writing because quite soon after we went, um, Nancy, who were on a terrible run at the time, down at the bottom of League 2, which for the size of the club is just unheard of, uh, Bassi was out of the team because he'd, he'd been trying to force a move anyway in the summer and they had a change of personnel. They sat the manager, they got a new manager in, the sporting director that we meant, I think became the fitness coach or the assistant manager. Uh, and he sort of vacated that role. So because of that sort of bureaucracy, uh, the change there, it, it all kind of fizzled out. But it, it definitely planted a seed in Guy's mind. Uh, Guy and his famous spreadsheets predicting the value of footballers. And that became kind of the basis for, for what we're doing with Five Yards. So uh, it was certainly an exciting time. It's, I think, quite a funny story, travelling to France to try and secure the mandate to, to sell a player into English football, which didn't quite come off, uh, but from that five yards. And yeah, as you mentioned, George, it's something we've been working pretty hard on and it's really exciting to be part of a startup. We think, albeit currently with football suspended, things have not been easy, that once we're up and running, it's going to be really exciting. It's got the scouting angle that you've mentioned. It's got the sort of um, uh, betting on your own opinions uh, angle as well, which a lot of people like. So we're really excited about Five Yards. We'd love it if you went and followed our Twitter account and our YouTube channel and give us some support because we think you guys will like this. Um, um, we, we, when I was going to say, oh, click the link. There's a link. So if you want to hear more, <clears throat> we're being deliberately uh, secretive here, I guess. But if you want to hear more, if you click on the link, um, it'll take you through and you can sign up and then you'll be emailed things as it happens. But if you... <clears throat> If you're someone who fancies himself as having an eye for a player, let's say, if there's been that player that you've seen in the past and you know he's going to go far and he does, then this is right up your street. There you go. That is five yards explained to some extent. Uh, so make sure you go and find out more. And thank you for, for listening. Uh, now it's time for Jay Sokic, Blades Analytic. He joined us on Zoom earlier so we could all look into the whites of each other's eyes as we talked about recruitment and data scouting and of course all focused on the EFL. Here's Jay Sokic. This is a, a late call up Jay partly because I saw I think I think you're up a lot later than me as you tend to be and I saw when I woke up this morning 
But last night you tweeted, looks set to be a long night in store for me as I buckle into some EFL scouting from before the break. And you know who else loves EFL scouting? George Nally from Not The Top 20. So first of all, I mean, have you been to bed? Do, are you just doing that all night? How does that? Do you, what, do you ever sleep? There's, there, there was a shifty hour. There was an hour where the eyes shut, yeah. yeah. I've, I've had some recovery time. Was it productive scouting mission last night? Yeah, yeah. So there's a couple of guys that uh, I wanted to watch. They've been monitoring their data for a while, been watching the clips, um, you know, watching the highlights. So I just wanted to get some full game watches in on them and just see how they were They were in a full 90-minute game rather than just uh, their highlights or clips. And talk me through the process. Uh, you obviously have access to hopefully some pretty accurate data. And I know that the lower down the leagues you go, the sort of less belief I think you can have in the, in the granularity of it. But I guess you are, are having a look at, at the models, having a look at the data, and then people are being flagged up to you. And then is it on to, is it on to Scout? What do you use to watch the clips? And, and how there's a lot that you can watch on Scout. So what, how do you sort of go about the, the actual watching of the players? Yeah, that's probably a job in itself, isn't it? Like, what, what <laughs> if you watch if you if you're clip watching, what clips do you watch? Um, so we 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 have a uh, I said we so the guys at Market Insights we have a, we have a platform that provides us a data profile um, of each player, so it ranks them on every metric in their position within their league on a percentile basis. So if someone is the best passer in the league, you know, plays the most passes, they will be the hundred percentile on the bar chart if you imagine it. Um, so that we do that and we pull up players that suit the profiles that we're looking for from there it's a very simple clip watching so if i'm watching a center back for example i'll go on to y scout and no i will not just click best actions um because that's just akin to watching a youtube video um i'll look at things like recovery i'll look at covering depth uh their defensive positioning the things basically data can't pick up on um you know i think yes there is some issues with data accuracy the further you go down but if you watch enough video of, of things that you can't look at, you will see what you need to see anyway. Um, and then you can arrow in on, on longer watches if they pass that, that next step. So first step is data. Next step is clip watching for the bits that data can't see and confirming that the data is correct. And then it's if they pass that next stage, it's talking to clubs about them. It's talking internally to the guys about them to log them in our own database. And then it's uh, full match reporting, full 90-minute game watching. Well, I mean, it sounds absolutely unbelievable. I know that it's hugely time-consuming, but it is so cool uh, how, how differently you are now speaking about the work that you're doing now that you're a bit more involved within the game. And it's been awesome to follow that journey. Um, because you've got the job with, well, you, did, you got the job with Posh uh, last summer, yep. which you discussed uh, last time you were on, but also with Market Insights, the, the company that you are working for, very much a, a new company over the last six months or so that's grown a lot. And, and as you mentioned, been working with clubs, uh, including clubs within the EFL. You've got a few different sort of fingers in different pies, I suppose. So what I want to know is what has the current situation with COVID-19 meant <laughs> practically, I think, for you and for the, the, the sort of clubs that you're working with? What's it meant recruitment-wise for you guys? Chaos. Um, it's just it's so club dependent so we work with a couple of foreign clubs we work with a massive club in the UK um, in their league they're a top tier club and we work with people down the chain as well um, and not just working with them you know we just talk to people as well at other various clubs to see what's going on and it's so dependent upon the club you're with 
there's some clubs out there talking to agents, looking at deals for when this all strikes back up again, you know, because the contract expiry thing, when's that going to roll on? There's certain players out there. I don't think, you know, this is a secret. Jordan Clark, Accrington Stanley is a player who is out of contract in the summer. He performed exceptionally well. He's probably got half of the EFL looking at him. So they're all probably in touch with his agent, asking what he's doing. Has he had chats with anyone? And it's, so we're just flagging up various different players who fit different requirements, really, um, abroad and here. So although I was looking at the EFL last night, I spent previous nights looking at Germany in the third tier. Uh, French third tier as well. It's uh, could have been doing with your language there, Ali. But it's uh, it is varied because, quite frankly, clubs really have no idea what's coming, so they need as many options as they can. It might well be that they they can't sign anyone because we hibernate. It might well be that they lose half their out of contract players and they need to replenish with cheap, which generally abroad is cheaper for wages. So it's really hard to, to pinpoint things. So it's just trying to stick to whatever model that club wants to play, whatever system, just find players that fit that system and have as many options as you can. What I don't understand about that, Jay, is you mentioned the model and the importance of keeping to it. And I think, you know, the three of us probably subscribe to the idea that if you win in the transfer market, if you're signing players for a low value, selling them high, then reinvesting in a low value and doing that consistently, that is the basis to being a successful football team. That's how it works. But right now, because... There's so much uncertainty because these players that you signed two years ago, whose value should be increasing because we now don't know what the currency is because players' salaries are probably going to drop, meaning that clubs are probably going to be quite keen on shifting their players on high salaries, but the players aren't going to want to go anywhere because they're going to have to take pay cuts in itself. How are these clubs planning at all for a, a world where we just don't know what it's going to look like? 10, 10 different scenarios, George. <laughs> It's just back of a fag packet, write down as many different scenarios as you can and have an option for each. I mean, we're fortunate that with some of our clubs that we're looking at, kind of EFL leagues for, they have either, they're, they're scouting the EFL because they see that's where the gems come from. So for the big club we work with, they, they only want the, the ripe gems in the EFL. So that they're not a problem. They've got the money to get through this. For other clubs, they've probably got, I would say, four or five of their first team and under that, their, their second tier players out of contract. They're building from scratch. So their wage bill right now, as it appears in June, because we don't know what's happening with contract expiry and the season, is probably quite low. You know, they're comfortable to their ownership group, obviously on the basis that football returns within the next three, four months. Um, I appreciate that. You know, there's a lot more to that, but just saying from a football perspective. So it's kind of like, okay, so if that's our level and that's our budget next year, our lower tier budget, what can we do within that budget to have a competitive squad? So it's going out and at least getting the details on players so that we can react accordingly. Um, and that's for us as a company as well. We'd be remiss if, if, even if I wasn't looking for a club, I'd be remiss if me and my guys weren't working with all the different agents out there to try and find out who's available and what for. Because I, I, people are going to be pushing the button left, right and centre whenever this does come back. Um, you know, because there's going to be squads that need to be filled. And they need to be filled with half-decent players because the Premier League is still going to have money. So you I mean, still have that opportunity to sell. Have you guys looked into changing the footballing currency? Like you take Jared Bowen as, a, as an yep. example, 18 million quid from Hull to West Ham. No chance now Hull will nope. be getting 18 million quid for him. Have you tried to work out what that number now yep. would be? And can you I tell mean, us? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so not specifically work out you know, that, that, that conversion factor, if you will. But yeah, we're trying to figure out what was value before? What's value now? 
And I think for us, it's not so much budgets, it's wages because we're dealing with clubs. So it's all about a wage budget generally. I can tell you now, 99% of EFL clubs below the championship, probably below the top 10 there, will not pay a fee for a player in the next window or two. It just will not happen. Um, it wouldn't be right to do so because they're full furloughed staff and they've got money le- leaking everywhere. But also they just won't have the finances. So it's all about fitting within wage budgets which is we're kind of looking abroad, looking a little bit more out of the box, not just to try and play Moneyball or play Brentford, but just simply because there's a player in France League 2 who's playing at a higher standard than League 2 in England, but he's actually cheaper than some wages in League 2 in England. So, yes, there's transitional factors. There's obviously, can they come across? Can they make it? But it's just having options. It really is. You just need options and options worth of players so that whenever this comes around, clubs can at least have some form of plan. There is clubs out there that we know of that have furloughed all scouting department, furloughed all head of recruitment, only the managers working. They have no idea what they're going to do whenever this comes back. They have no idea and they could be losing 50% of their squad. I appreciate that's not what's important at the minute and I don't want to be negative. But when the time does come that football is back, they've got a hell of a job on their hands. Mm. There's lots of talk at the moment about, well, everything, like how we're going to finish the season, what will happen if we can't, um, but also in terms of going forward, uh, understanding that the EFL, uh, as a as a, a group of clubs, uh, financially has, has gone too far one way, even before uh, the, the suspension, and is going to feel that quite hard when things return. There's a lot of discussion about what we can do to try and sort of drag things back, I suppose, and, and improve the financial situation. A lot of talk about salary caps. And I'm interested yep. to know from your, from your perspective and working with, with the knowledge of a few different clubs within the EFL, uh, in my head, and I've said it on the pod before, a salary cap for me would see the best and most inventive recruitment teams uh, sort of thriving, probably more so than they can in the sort of Wild West, where there's not particularly any sort of caps on things. Um, yep. Is that something that, that you feel or would that, as someone trying to do recruitment for a team, you know, kind of holds you back because there's more restrictions in a way? No, you're right. You're spot on. Um, you know, we always refer to the Brentford model. It's the living proof that if you are smart with what you do and you find different ways to do things that others aren't, you can win. Um, you know, you can win as a club. I appreciate Brentford might be the one of the ones who suffer out of this because they've got a bunch of assets worth 20 million quid who aren't worth 20 million quid anymore. Um, you know, and they're trying to build a stadium and it's all going off for them as a club right now. They've just unfortunately hit a bad time period. But if you consider what they did in League One, and they didn't sign too many foreigners as such in League One or too many data guys from the EFL in League One, just a few, but it was enough. Um, you look at, the, you know, everyone knew Ollie Watkins was a good player in League Two, but they were the only ones that took a punt. Um, you know, it's the same can be said for numerous situations and also players coming out of academies as well. You know, look at your area, look at your catchment area. Brentford have taken a lot of good players out of academies, um, you know, and they have assets there that they're building. I just think that if salary caps come, a lot of teams right now who depend on agent recruitment or manager-led recruitment or contacts, and there's nothing wrong with that at all. We, we use contacts. It's certainly a way to go. A lot of teams that do that, and that don't understand the market value, that don't understand the options and don't have options, will struggle. They'll, they'll find players, but they won't necessarily find the ones that are going to make them really competitive to where they want to be. You mentioned academy players there, and that's something that I was thinking about kind of over the weekend, is if there is a salary cap, or even if there isn't, 
there's a good chance that clubs are going to be more reliant on their own academy players. So not recruiting other people's, just looking into their own academies and looking to see if there's any talent. In your line of work with Market Insights, or do you know if clubs ever outsource data analysts to look at their academy players to tell them who's good? I mean, it's all well and good knowing you've got a 16-year-old kid who's likely quick and can finish, but actually looking deeper into the numbers of their academy products to work out if there's anyone that they're missing out on or anyone who maybe does a bit of work they don't normally see. So yes and no. Um, it, it certainly at some clubs, top tier ones, a little bit at times. Yes, they they kind of do that. They might do it internally because they've got the money to hire people. They don't need consultants. But it's something that so we've built a model recently that looks at uh, certainly at UEFA youth league data for top tier clubs that we work with um, to try and spot trends of good players basically from 16, 17. Uh, and the ones that kind of fall off the scope at 18, 19. So if you imagine the guys at Chelsea who are just coming through now, they may have been gettable at 19, 20 for certain clubs. You know, they had the great data and the great performances in the UEFA Youth League. They then went to the first team kind of reserves and didn't really do anything until alone. So yes, that does exist. It's hard to get that data. Um, and I have no doubt that academy players will be used in a much more abundance after this. And I think there is a lot of key, maybe not in such the analytics projection-wise, but definitely in the performance analysis side. Again, EFL teams, what's the first thing, first thing that's going to go? Backroom staff, right? You know, players and management will stay. Um, chairman will stay. Backroom staff, analysts, that'll be the first thing that gets shredded because it's not considered a necessity. So for clubs to have, what clubs need to be do is be smart in their their cutting if you will because performance analysts can certainly add a, an awful lot of value from being able to work out who in the academy is good enough to go forward right let's get into some of the exciting meaty stuff jay because uh, we, we don't want to keep you for too long today and i know that there'll be people tuning in who want to hear some names and they want to <laughs> they, they, they want to know uh, a couple of things a couple of names to look out for so you've been doing a lot of a lot of deep dives into EFL, looking for the best value and, and the most talented players that leap out in the numbers and look good on the video. First question to you, you must have watched more Crew Alexandra than <laughs> almost any other team in the, in the 71, shall we say? I've watched a fair amount of crew. Yeah, there's a, there's a fair amount of crew. I reckon I could probably tell David Artel what he's done wrong in certain games this season. Um, yeah, a good, I've probably watched 12 full games of crew at this point. Do you think uh, those guys, Wintle and G, Pickering, Kirk, uh, Lowry, etc. I mean, because they've all played together for so long and they're almost telepathic and because someone like Wintle has really, he's kind of developed into the role that he plays and also his role in the team has kind of developed because of the sort of player that he is. Is there any question or worries about how they would translate to a new team that they don't know so well, they haven't come up through the ranks with, a new style of play that they don't know? How, how much of that is sort of on your mind when you're watching these guys? Because they play such an uber-specific style that they themselves have kind of grown with. Yeah, 100%. It's, it's one of the biggest issues in recruitment, really, is, you know, take a player out of a system and is that player the same player? You know, can he adapt to a different system or can he replicate that higher up the leagues where maybe you have, for example, for crew, you have less of the ball. You know, Ryan Wintle isn't going to go to a team that's the top of the championship, for example. He might, but he probably won't. So he's going to go to a team that highly likely have less possession. Um, so, you know, you're looking at the areas of his game that maybe he doesn't get to showcase for crew. And are they strong enough? Is he mobile? You know, can he do the doggy work? Can he do the defensive work? Can he rat about and win it and then play? 
in regards to that crew side, you know, that that's probably more prevalent than ever because that Ryan Wintle ping to the left wing to Charlie Kirk is, you know, with, with Pickering bombing down the outside and then Kirk coming inside, it, it's the most common thing in their game. So, yeah, you are looking at that. You are you are judging and there's no, there is data that can show you where they play and the areas they play. But ultimately, it's a judgment call because that player is going to move to a new team. So they're going to have to adapt to different runs, different teammates, different spaces. So it is hard to make that call, whether someone will transition. And I guess that's where the money gets paid, right? It's going to be interesting to see. I mean, it's a shame that we'll never know because we assume that, that COVID will impact clubs so heavily. In fact, we know that it will. It would have been yep. interesting to see had they been promoted to what extent they would hang on to those players, uh, to what yep. you know, what sort of position they're in financially, and and how capable they would have been. Plus, with that sort of sentimental tie that those players will have to the club and to each other. Um, but you know, we'll have to wait and see with Crew in terms of League Two. Let's let's chuck a few more names at you. I know who you like already, so I want you to tell <laughs> me. You know, why do you like uh, Ibo Torre of Salford? Why do you like Ebu Adams of Forest Green? Um, other players like that. Who, who are you? Jordan Maguire Drew, I know of Leighton Orient, is always <laughs> a name that you mentioned. What is it about these guys that's caught your eye? Yeah, so I mean, if we just, just skip through a couple of them. So Ibu Torre, I just think he's just, he's just an exceptionally composed left back. Um, you know, yeah, everything that we like data-wise is based on his attacking because he does a lot. Um, and he's one of the best in the league outside of Pickering and you're kind of George Coopers as a left wing back but you're talking you know Salford play the four so but what I like about Torre is I think there's technical qualities where he can play higher um, you know you, you see it when you watch the video on him so the data's good but the video shows you that he can handle a ball under pressure um, and it, it can also deal with the defensive side so I like Torre a lot uh, Jordan Maguire Drew is pretty much my love child um, about a year ago I kind of Wrong his name through the data and he came out similar to Dan James in the numbers not in how he plays but in the numbers um, and I just think he is such an underrated player um, one of those kind of guys that's posting ridiculous data for a, a team that have been struggling um, understandably so you know promoted and obviously everything that happened there but I just think he's a gem an absolute gem um, and he's a, he's a really interesting one Leighton Orient have got an interesting team Dan Happ at centre-half another one Premier League scouts are watching Dan Harp. I don't think that's a secret. He's an exceptionally talented defender. Uh, they've got a, a, a couple of others. I think I'll probably not say those. Um, but there's a, there's a couple of others. Ebo Adams, who doesn't like Abu. An absolute ball winner. The Angolo Kante of League Two. Just You have to love him. The query is, how high can he go? I have a thought on that. But yeah, he's certainly a big player. There's a couple of other good guys in League Two. Uh, and then you get into League One as well, where there's some gems. Before we get on to the League One players, a question you might probably don't get asked as often as the one Ali just asked you. Who is pretty highly rated? Who's quite a big name in League One or League Two? But you look at the data and you look at him and you just can't have it at all. Oh, that's a tough one, that. Um, and don't say an Oxford player. <laughs> on the spot. On the spot. That's, that's one that normally requires a little bit of thought, that, I think. Um, <laughs> we, we can come back to it at the end if you want. Circle back to that one. Let me right. circle okay. back to that one. Okay. Right, let, let's keep it positive anyway. Um, League One players that you love? Um, so, that, I mean, this is hard because George is on the phone. So, this is hard. <laughs> um, I, I love Cam Brannigan. I think Cam's brilliant. Um, Cam should, George won't like me for the same. Cam should be in the championship. 
um, he will be height and physicality. Traditional scouts will look at and question nonsense. Cam plays in the inside left channel. He's absolutely brilliant at it. Play him in a three. He's a great player. Um, I think Rob Dickey's great. I think Rob Dickey's one of the only centre backs in the FL that kind of feeds passes through lines. Um, comfortable on the ball. Enough. Enough. You can look at mobility. Look, uh, but there's some, you know, uh, Ben Davis at Preston isn't the most mobile of centre halves, uh, but he's exceptional. So it's, you know, I think that sometimes that's looked on a little bit too much. Clever defenders don't need to have the greatest mobility. I think Rob's a good player. Um, and I do like who Oxford have signed as his potential replacement, actually. Rob Atkinson from Eastleigh. He's, a, he's one I flagged up a lot earlier on. He, he profiles similar to Harry Maguire did in the EFL. So Ooh. that's an interesting one to watch. That's three Oxford players. We didn't even say Oxford. You're going us three. <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> Definitely. Um, I think it's some obvious ones. Uh, Jack Tucker at Gillingham. Uh, an obvious one who has impressed me somewhat this season, uh, kind of breakthrough. There's there's the obvious posh ones. I won't say, you know, I won't say they are, but Jack Taylor coming in from Barnett's been amazing. Uh, you look at young guys, Ricky J. Jones in his very limited minutes has been incredible. Uh, Tony's not even a gem, is he? Let's be honest, he's, he's past it. There's, there's a, yeah, I think uh, Ross Sykes, Accrington is a brilliant young centre-back. I really like him. Uh, there's Colby Bishop. There's so many in League One. It, the question is, is how many of these guys are going to do it again next year? I think that's the thing with Cam. What I love about Cam, he's done it for two years now. He could probably do it for a third. One, anyone can do one year's good worth of data, but can they do two or can they step up and play well again is the question. I think, I think basically every EFL lover and everyone that spends more than your average time thinking about recruitment, even if it's just in a sort of amateur basis like, like most of us, um, would have looked at you getting a chance with Posh and thought of all the clubs to work in in the in the transfer team that was that's ev- that's going to be in everyone's top three I think um, has the reality of being involved with Posh been as as great as it sort of looked when you first got that opportunity I mean the, the players that you've mentioned they've been heavily involved in the transfer market both in the summer and in January and such an entertaining team as well full of young talent yeah I mean. The best way to describe it, Dara is as incredible in private as he is in public. Um, force of nature. Um, but they've got a, such a slick system there. They really have. They know what they're doing already. I'm just a little bit of quality assurance there, if you will. You know, I, I can pick out some names from non-league. I can pick out names from League Two. And, and they know they are, but they're happy to see the data. But it's really quality assurance. Those guys have got a slick system. They know what they're doing. That was proven in January. I think a lot of people sniffed it. You know, nearly 500 grand for a non-league centre mid and he comes in and he I wouldn't say him alone but certainly it was January editions just transformed the team you know the system yes the three four one two, but you look at what Jack does from that deep progression you know basis he's physical he can play he can a bargain an absolute bargain already worth double what they paid for him if you will he really he looks like he's seamlessly fitted into League One and you know another six months another year he's going to be looking higher as well hopefully with Posh, but just another one off the production line. Which championship players, based on this season, will have the Premier League teams, you know, I'm thinking your Bournemouths and your Leicester, who are not averse to dipping into the EFL. Which ones outside of, you know, those who started the season as, yeah. as, as obvious talents do you think have really caught the eye of, of the top-level scouts this season? Um, I think you're looking at uh, giveaways. No, you know, these guys, everyone knows who they are, but, you know, Car- Carl and Grant was already kind of known, but I think he's... Uh, you know incredible. we talk about these guys every week, don't you? So, you know, <laughs> yeah. can't listen. There, there, no surprises here. 
the, the problem is I'm naming players that you love because we spoke about these guys. But you know, Louis, Louis Travis is 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 one. Uh, just I, I think Lewis is brilliant. I think he can play six, eight. He could probably even play higher if he wanted to. He's an absolute ball winner. Uh, you know, you could just say to him, "Go and rat and get me the ball." He'll do that. You could say, "I want you to play almost a Norwood style uh, and knock it about." He can do that. I love Lewis O'Brien. I think Lewis O'Brien's incredible. I think he should go to the Premier League this summer um, because I think if he goes to the right team, he'll play a lot of minutes. I don't think there'll be many people that could run with him in terms of the energy and tenacity he's got. And I think he could play six, eight or ten. Let's see who else is there. I mean, there's, there's so many. Black, Blackburn have actually got a few because uh, if you take out the loans, I love Ryan Niambi. I think Niambi's a good player. Um, Barnsley, despite their position, are just full of them. Clark O'Dor at left back is just an absolute gem who they've pulled out of nowhere. Uh, you know, Corley Woodrow's done it and certainly Connor Chaplin's done better than even I thought he would. So it, it really is hard to, I guess it's hard to find the ones no one knows because you just do a podcast on it every week. So you stop talking. <laughs> well, I guess one player that everyone knows about, and we can't do a, a conversation about championship players destined for the top without mentioning Abere Eze. And to flip it on its head, where would you like to see him go? Which Premier League club do you think suits? You know, where would he get enough minutes? And where do you think the style would suit the way that he plays? So if everyone knows me, they know I support a Premier League club. Um, <laughs> so ap- apart from that one, I think it's hard for Hitterberry because w- where do you play him would be my question. You know, mm. he can play anywhere for QPR because he's just a metronome. So you can say he plays centre mid, but you're going to put legs around him and generally let him float about. You kind of can't do that in the Premier League, um, you know, unless you go to a top four side because y- you need to go somewhere where he's going to play, but defensive solidity is behind him. I don't think I want to see him at a Bournemouth. Um, you know, I, I don't think I want to see him there. Everton's been mentioned before. I think they've got too many of that type of player. Um, I really like the idea of him at Leicester. I really like the idea of him at Leicester. I think they've got a lot of same midfielders, which might be the only issue. But I think that given time, Eze could develop a little bit more of a defensive side to his game. Um, and I think he could be kind of the heir to the Yuri Tielmans throne. You know, that's, that's not EFL, but if Tielmans is going to go, I think Eze is a wonderful replacement. That kind of he needs to play in a midfield three for me is what I'm trying to say. You know, that right hand side or that left hand side of a three. I think he'd be great at Leicester. He really would. And Brendan's a great coach as well. So that's the move probably for him that I would look at. What a way to wrap up this chat, Jay. Thank you so much for joining us. It's been absolutely brilliant rattling through some of the best talents in the EFL and of course talking about how COVID is going to affect uh, recruitment stuff. Fingers crossed, you stay busy. And clubs keep calling Mark Insights for their uh, for their recruitment needs. Yeah, let's help, please, please, please do. But yeah, keep keep. keep what I would say is, and it's just a listener thing. Keep doing the pod, guys. You're doing an amazing job. Um, there's a lot of us that kind of literally wait for it on a Monday and Thursday. So so carry on, boys. You're getting us through it. <laughs>